Welcome to the COVID What Comes Next podcast with Dr. Ashish Jha, Dean of the Brown University School of Public Health and a globally respected pandemic scientist and physician. Every week here, Dr. Jha will analyze events of the previous several days and offer his assessment and guidance for what lies ahead. I'm your host, G. Wayne Miller of the Providence Journal and the USA Today Network. Good morning. Good morning, Wayne. How are you today? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having me on. Well, thanks for doing this. And let's start with your assessment of the national picture of the pandemic uh, this week and, and today in particular. Yeah. So as we you know enter the here, as we are in the last week of October. Um, things are looking pretty concerning across the country. Uh, in more than 40 states, in about 45 states, uh, cases, infections are rising. Uh, in about 40 or so states, hospitalizations are rising. So more and more people getting hospitalized. A few places, things are really bad. Um, and, and we are seeing probably in about half the states, the number of deaths going up. And so we're in a, in a situation where we have a lot of infections in the community. Uh, and now it's starting to show up in hospitals and in, in, in deaths. And, you know, of course, it's not evenly distributed. Um, but unlike March, April, May, where it was largely the Northeast, some parts of the Midwest and South, or in June or July, what it, where it was the Sun Belt, um, mostly, uh, you know, now it's really pretty national. So it certainly is the worst in the upper Midwest, Wisconsin, the Dakotas, uh, Utah, um, so West and upper Midwest, Idaho, Montana. Um, but it's also pretty bad here in the Northeast. It's really starting to accelerate. Um, we're seeing parts of the South get into trouble. And what that means is that this is not a thing where we can focus on one part of the country and help them get through a surge. It's kind of we're all in this together. There's a very few places in the country that I would say are doing okay. Uh, mostly it's Maine, uh, Vermont, uh, New Hampshire, uh, but the rest of the country really is, is looking like it's in a lot of trouble. And maybe one last comment on this is, you know, we all worried about a false wave, false surge. People often talk about the second wave in the fall, uh, as we've seen with other pandemics. Um, I don't think any of us expected that it would be this bad this early. I mean, we're still, we still have, if you think about the cold months, we still have many, many cold months ahead of us. And we're pretty far along in terms of the number of infections in the community. Uh, and we're only at the end of October. So most public health colleagues that I'm speaking to, everybody is feeling this sense of like, uh, we're in for some pretty tough days ahead. So Dr. Cha, what are some of the factors behind this, this surge or wave or whatever we call it? The, clearly an acceleration of, of, of the depth of, of the troubles we're in. What, what are some of the factors? So what we know about this virus is it spreads efficiently when any number of people, large number of people, get together indoors and don't wear masks. That's, that's really the kind of 
the way that the virus spreads efficiently. So it also tells you something about like, you know, what is pretty safe to do. If you're out and about and walking outside, it's very, very hard to get the virus from somebody else if you're moving, if you're out in outdoor space, especially if you're wearing a mask. Um, but once you get indoors, it gets pretty tough. And so here are the th three things in my mind that are really driving this. One is that in colder air, people do spend more time indoors, right? So in the colder weather. So we do know people are starting to spend more time indoors uh, right now. Um, cold air actually does make it a bit more efficient of a spreader. The virus just does better in colder air. But if you really ask what's driving this, in my mind, what's happening is there's a bit of pandemic fatigue setting in. People have been at, we've all been at this. We all have pandemic fatigue, right? I have pandemic fatigue. Um, we've all been at this for nine months. And so people are starting to let their guard down. And there is um, a lot of disinformation coming, a lot of it coming straight from the White House, uh, but also from, you know, Dr. Scott Atlas, who's an advisor to the president, saying no masks are needed. Uh, it's fine for lots of people to get infected. That kind of messaging also makes it hard for people to sustain the kind of stuff we need to do to get through the virus, uh, get through the pandemic. And then we've seen from a policy point of view, uh, states as cases are rising, relaxing their rules about indoor dining, relaxing their rules about, uh, you know, about indoor gatherings. It doesn't really make sense to me. And that combination of factors. So, so that really, I think, is, is what's getting us into trouble. We're just not seeing enough policy action. And I think we're seeing too many people letting their guard down because they're tired and they're being bombarded with misinformation. So public health experts such as yourself, epidemiologists, physicians, pretty much everyone with, with, uh, with credibility in the scientific and, and medical communities has said and said repeatedly that masks are effective at reducing the risk. Why are some people still not wearing masks? And number two, why is the White House not clamping down in some fashion and saying, look, folks, we got to do this. So two right. questions. Right. So there are a couple of things that are happening here. Um, one is somehow masks have become this um, symbol of sort of politicization or kind of political symbol of if you wear masks, you, you, it says one thing about your politics versus if you don't wear masks. That's incredibly unfortunate. Thankfully, that never really happened with seatbelts or drinking and driving. But masks are kind of in the same vein, you know, as as those. And we never made it that, well, drinking, drinking and driving is an issue of freedom. I should be able to drink and drive. Like, no. Yes, you can. You can. You have freedom, but you don't have the freedom to get behind a car and kill somebody else. Uh, and that's essentially what kind of mask wearing or failure to wear a mask is, is that you're going to infect other people and you're putting other people at risk when you choose not to. So I don't, it's been politicized in a, in a really unfortunate way uh, that I don't see we've politicized in quite the same way with other uh, public health measures. And it, it's unfortunate because if the president, for instance, came out tomorrow and said, everybody needs to be wearing a mask, his followers would listen to that. And it would make this incredible difference. It would literally save tens of thousands of lives would dramatically reduce the number of infections if 90% of Americans wore masks every time they left their home. And that just isn't happening. Uh, 
Uh, and I don't think mask wearing alone is enough, but it would certainly make a big difference. And again, I think it's a combination of politicization, misinformation, you know, some of the stuff that Scott Atlas was spreading. Actually, Twitter took it down because it was so junky. It was just so wrong in terms of uh, about, you know, in terms of information on mask wearing. And I don't I don't totally understand what is to be gained by making this so deeply political, like let ask people to wear masks and they will. Most of them will. And it'll make a big difference. So for those of us, uh, for those in the audience who may not know who Dr. Scott Atlas is, I'm assuming you know something about him. Um, we've yeah. certainly seen his name. And, and but who is he and, and why is he in a position of prominence? Yeah, and I don't mean to turn this too much into Dr. Atlas because it's not about one person, but he's the right now the most influential health advisor to the president. Um, you know, the, the president has a whole coronavirus task force made up of absolutely terrific people, Tony Fauci, Debbie Burks, physicians and, and public health experts uh, who've been at this for a long time and really understand things. Um, Dr. Atlas is uh, none of those things. He's not an infectious disease expert. He's not a public health expert. Doesn't really know much about this topic. Uh, but he started uh, becoming a commentator on Fox News back in March and has advocated sort of this herd immunity, let everybody get infected, uh, and, and that'll, that'll get us through this pandemic faster. And I think he just caught the eye of people in the White House who liked that message. And so now he's at the White House. And, you know, a lot of what he says is, is sounds reasonable uh, on first glance, and he says, you know, protect the elderly, let everybody else get infected. But when you actually think about what he's suggesting, you realize it doesn't actually, it doesn't make sense. It can't work. It's not how sort of societies work. Um, but he's unencumbered by experience and knowledge on these things. He's really, uh, and I'm sure he's well-intentioned. I'm sure he's trying to do the right thing. But his advice is consistently contradictory to what all the people in the scientific community know to be true. And, um, you know, it's, it's unfortunate that, somebody with so little knowledge and expertise uh, finds themselves in that kind of a prominent role. So speaking of the White House, several members of the vice president's staff have been infected and yet the vice president is not quarantining. What do you make of that? Yeah, you know, it's, it's unfortunate, Wayne, because he, first of all, the CDC guidelines on this is very, very clear that he needs to be quarantining. And quarantining is not a, like, nice thing to do if it's not inconvenient. It's always inconvenient. I have never met anybody who's been put into a 14-day quarantine who has uh, thought it was great. It's, it's not great. And it's particularly problematic for people who are, you know, who, who get paid by the hour, who are hourly wage workers. For them, it's two weeks of lost pay. It's incredibly disruptive. You know, imagine the mom who's got young kids at home and, and like they're just these very disruptive things that people have to go through. The vice president uh, just decided he didn't want to. And the argument was uh, that he's an essential worker. And if you look at the CDC guidelines, Essential workers don't get a pass on quarantine. The only time you can avoid quarantine or break quarantine is if you are doing work 
on critical infrastructure that without your engaging would put health or safety of people at risk. So if you're like a nuclear plant operator and you're the only guy who knows something critical and imagine that the nuclear plant is getting into trouble, you can probably break quarantine in that moment to go fix it, but then you got to quarantine afterwards. Um, most of what the vice president needs to do to fun to keep the functioning of our country going, he can do from his residence using, you know, remote, uh, doing kind of technology and doing it remotely. So there's really no justification for him breaking quarantine. The, the problem of breaking quarantine is that he can become infectious. He was exposed. He can become infectious and spread it to other people without knowing it um, while having negative tests. Uh, the testing that they're using for him is not 100%. And he's just putting other people's lives at risk. And I think it's really not justifiable. So, uh, Dr. Shah, we'll be back here next week. Uh, before we close out here, do you have any sort of general guidance or message that you would like to give to the American public at this yeah, moment so in time? As we're, we're coming up in, in a week from today will be the election. So, right. Yeah. So what would you say to the American public? So I'd say two or three things. First, um, that go vote. If you have not voted already, vote. Uh, voting itself is really quite safe. Uh, wear a mask. I've seen voting across the country happening in, in, in early voting. Most of the times you're spending time outside. So that's pretty safe, socially distancing. And then once you go in, it's a, you know, usually you'd spend five, 10 minutes. Everybody wears masks. There's enough social distancing in most places. So don't be afraid to vote. Don't let COVID uh, affect your vote uh, in terms of safety. Go vote. And, and from a public health point of view, as I said, I think it's quite safe as long as everybody's wearing a mask. Second is I know I've laid out a scenario where things are looking a little dark. Um, whether it turns out that way or not is wholly up to us. So if we take all of us, take responsibility, avoid large gatherings, like don't have large number of friends over for drinks and dinner, like I, as much as we all want that back, we can't do it right now. Wear a mask when you're outside. Um, do basic public health stuff that you've been hearing about, and it will make an enormous difference and we will get through the next few months. So I, I remain worried about where we are as a country. We'll check back again next week. Uh, but until then, um, do basic public health stuff, do your civic duty and vote and stay safe and healthy. And, and I look forward to, to being back and talking about kind of where we are uh, soon. Thank you very much. You stay safe too. Um, have a good week and we'll see you next week. Sounds great. Thank you.